Check, 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 check. Come on, come on, thoughts. Come on, thoughts. Come on, thoughts. All right, let's just get right into it. Come on, come on, thoughts. Come on, you bastards. You better get over here. Hey, 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 come here, come here. Hey, thoughts, don't slip away. I need you right now. We're going to do a little podcast here. <laughs> That's terrific, really. So it's a recorded medium? Yeah, it's a form of audio entertainment. Uh-huh, I see. And how could I listen to this? How could I listen to one of these podcasts? Well, you dumb fuck. Maybe you could just advance into the world today. Yeah, we're going to welcome you to planet Earth, where podcasts are not a wild new medium. They are simply everywhere, all over the place, being recorded by many, many people, and probably how we're all going to stay in touch one day. One day, one day, one day. Where's Matis Yahoo these days? Matis? What do his friends call Matt? And he has to correct them? No, 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 no. It's much cooler than Matt. It's Matis Yahoo. And they go, what does that even mean? And he has to Google it. And when he Googles it, he goes, oh, shit, I don't know. Actually, I'm Googling it right now. What does Matis Yahoo mean? Gift of Yahoo, a Hebrew name of God. That sounds serious. Matis Yahoo is 41 years old, born in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay. Singer, rapper, reggae star, activist, actor? Who's ever seen Matt in a movie? Not me. All right. Come on. Come on, pal. Find a topic. All right, I will. You impatient bastards. There are categories. We have categories of people based on the year they were born. So we like to throw people into a category. You're a baby boomer. Oh, you know those boomers, they're all like this. 1946 to 1964. I bet we could find a bunch of different spans of years for each group, but according to this website, I found baby boomers, 46 to 64. If you were born in that range, (laughs) you're a boomer. Boomers today in their late 50s to early 70s. Then there's Generation Jones. If you were born 55 to 65, we're going to call you Generation Jones. Then you got Generation X, 65 to 1980. So it says, with a decline in birth rates in 1965 came Generation X, which demographers or demographers generally say lasted until 1980. So Generation X is also called the baby bust because of its smaller post-boom numbers. Xenials, 77 to 83. So I guess I'm a Xenial. Am I a micro generation called Xenials? Born in the late 70s and early 80s. Okay, okay. Also known as the Oregon Trail generation. I don't know why. But it says Xenials had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. Then you got Millennials. Then you got Generation Z, 1997 or after. Then you have Generation Alpha, born 2010 or after. And then you have... Generation Y, as in, why are you even Googling this topic? Well, here you go. I'm looking at my teens. I'm looking at my students. They're Generation Z. Z, as in, zip it, I'm talking. Just kidding. 
Okay, let's all calm down. But I've reached a point where I am fully convinced that they have it much tougher than I had it in my developmental years, in my adolescent years, in my teen years. And I'm here to make the case. I'm going to make the case right now. Agree or disagree, we'll open up the phone lines a little later after traffic and weather. But I believe my generation, I'm going to say this, might have had it the easiest in the history of this country. (gasps) That's a crazy comment, sir. Back it up. All right, so my generation, I don't even want to use the labels. Forget boomers, X, Y, Z, Jones, Oregon Trail, Z, Y, any of that bullshit. Just let me tell you, I'm born in 1981. If you're listening right now and that's your range, let's say 80 to 83, you're my range. When we were growing up, our first memories might be the end of the Cold War, Reagan and Gorbachev. You remember Gorbachev with that scalp birthmark on TV every night? You remember? Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall. Berlin Wall falls. Okay. Do you remember feeling very impacted by that? No, not really. I mean, do you? And then Desert Storm. You remember this? You tuned into the news with your parents, Desert Storm, George Bush was the president, we're sending troops in, Saddam Hussein in the news a lot, not really dividing us, I don't really feel like we were scared, I don't feel like we were emotional about it, I don't remember discussing Desert Storm that often with my friends, and then as we progressed through the Clinton years, outside of Lewinsky, the economy seemed fine. Didn't really seem too polarizing in my neighborhood. Are you on Team Clinton? What do you think of Clinton, young Josh Rosenberg? Well, I like how he plays the saxophone on Arsenio and how Phil Hartman plays him on Saturday Night Live. I don't know. I don't know. And I love the fact that I don't care. Then by the time I'm in college, maybe my freshman, sophomore year, it's 9-11. And now it's getting heavy. And now if your earliest memories are anything, you know, 9-11, into our war on terror, into the Trump era, into this pandemic, if you're a young person right now, you have it tougher than my generation. Because we became adults with some ease. I believe there was some ease in my upbringing. Just the political climate, just the national environment that I was able to come up in. I looked at my seniors today and I'm just thinking, shit. All of those apps on your phone, just creating a world of toxic cyberbullying, and all of these masks, we're all just wearing masks to defend our faces from droplets of COVID-19. A lot of these kids have been very impacted by the intense political stories over the last few years. They're being parented probably with more pressure than parents put on kids in my generation. These helicopter hovering parents that I hope I'm not. I don't think I am. Maybe I am. I don't know. I'm still developing my parental identity, I guess. But I might be a helicopter dad. Hovering, hovering, hovering. Hey, dad. Yeah, get the fuck away. Okay. I think it's a little much. I really do. There's such an emphasis on mental health, and there should be. You know, it used to seem like we were coddling them. Like, we really need to protect them, this delicate generation. But that's true. We do need to address their mental health more so than previous generations. I don't know the statistics on teenage suicide. I just assume it's more than ever. This will be a very non-academic conversation. I don't know the statistics on depression or the students experiencing intense anxiety. I don't know. It just seems like more, more nowadays. 
and you look at the surrounding factors and the circumstances and you go, okay, I guess I get it. I guess I get it. It's not easy being young right now. When I'm in middle school and I was in high school, I don't have a phone in my pocket. I'm not tuned into the nightly news in a state of shock and awe and disbelief about a potential civil war that's about to spike. You're grouping all these people with the cute nicknames of your generation X and you're a boomer. I guess there are some similar sensibilities amongst these people. That's kind of interesting to analyze. Like what type of adults did this generation create? And then they set the tone for the country and then their kids then set the tone for the country and then their kids then set the tone for the country. And then this current generation of youngsters, when they become parents, I'm curious what kind of tone they're going to set. Sensitive? Definitely. Politically correct? Definitely. Inclusive? I'm hoping, I'm guessing, I'm hoping, I'm guessing, I'm being optimistic right now. But they know not to say the actual N-word, you just say N-word. There was a story in the news that a local board member, the district I work in, a board member was telling a story about how a crowd was using the N-word at a basketball game, and he didn't say N-word, he said the actual word. And I asked my students today, is it common sense to just not say it? And everyone's like, yes, you don't say it, you just don't say it. I guess previous generations, some people in the previous generations don't know that that we censor. We now censor previous stories. And we should know to do that. And for the people that don't know to do that, they're going to be castigated. There's not a lot of wiggle room of, well, let's take some time to teach. It's just like, react! That's a racist. React! But that little window before reacting where you get to teach, maybe, if I'm being hopeful, maybe that's what we're going to become really good at. Is to be a little bit more compassionate, just a little bit more compassionate to look into someone's background and go, okay, you're from that generation? Okay, well, I've studied generational characteristics and you don't know yet, but yeah, we don't speak that way about trans people. We don't speak that way about immigrants. Oh, we don't speak that way about black people. No, we don't speak that way anymore. And you know, we're changing speech, but we're not just changing speech. We're not just talking about words here. We're talking about the vision of where we're going as a country. And am I in a bubble? Yep, I'm in a bubble. What bubble are you in? A different bubble? Yep. Are all of our bubbles going to collide one day? Nope. Essentially, we're all going to be in our bubble, but I hope your bubble's comfy. Bubble Bobble, the old Nintendo game. Did you like that game? Bubble Bobble. I was pretty good at that, and I wasn't good at a lot of video games. I just wasn't, but I was good at Bubble Bobble, and I want to play it right now. So that'll do it for episode 139. Nope. Okay. What am I? Xenial? Generation X? I don't know. I'm on the cusp. But I'm convinced it was just so much easier than this generation that's always like, oh no, what's going on? What now? They're going to be conditioned to just expect the wildest stories. They just lived through four years of Trump, a little slice of QAnon, into a Capitol riot. Let's have some more police brutality videos surface. Okay, give me a little pandemic. Perfect. And yeah, are there any more apps we can add for more cyberbullying? Can we just all put that in one big pot and stir it up and stir it up? Good. And now let's just feed it to the young people in this country. Let's just feed this. Okay, what's the recipe again? Oh, you do a little Trump with a little QAnon. You sprinkle in COVID-19 and then you give them all the apps so they're connected to a bunch of morons who now have a voice on platforms to bully and threaten. Yeah, and let's just feed it to all these young people and hope everything's fine. Sounds a little combustible. It is so much harder to be young than when I was young. And I'm aware of that, which might make me a helicopter parent. 
Ah, oh, shit. Didn't want to be that, but I guess I will be. Protective? Do I feel protective of not just my kids, but young people? Yeah, a little bit. We got to soften it a little bit. We got to soften it a little bit. And I'm also aware that there's another side to this argument. I'm fully aware. I acknowledge that there's another side of this argument of people that would say, no, the young people have it easy. Because that's what old people say. That's what the older generations say. The younger kids, they have it easier. They've got it so much. That's how, that's how old people sound when they make this argument. They got it so much easier. They had it so much easier. That's a direct quote right there. Do they have it so much easier? I'm willing to listen to other arguments about that. But I firmly believe whatever we're calling them, this group of youngsters, the adolescents and the current teens of America, it's about as hard as it gets, in my opinion, to currently do life. And HBO Real Sports, they just did a whole piece on how many teens have been robbed of sports. I know it's a sports show. Teens have been robbed of many other things, but sports as a lifeline, sports as a number one source of joy, sports as a ticket to health, freedom, friendship, all these things just removed. And there were a good amount of suicides that HBO Real Sports just reported on. And as a teacher, I see it right in front of my face and it's shocking, but it's worth examining. I mean, we're all so shocked by it and stunned and I'm hoping we don't become desensitized to it. But when you see young people killing themselves and if it feels like there's a little uptick in that, then we got to just pull the e-brake for a moment. Just pull the e-brake and say, all right, let's stop. Let's reset this. What can we do better? What can we do better? I'll find solutions on the next episode. I'll just take the easy way out of this. I'll just bring up the questions in this episode, but on the next episode, maybe I'll examine some solutions. How about that? That's how I get to tiptoe away from a topic. And uh, the answers to that are coming up next week. But right now we move on to a little topic I like to call death at the wing. If you need a good podcast, you know, some of us are looking for good shows, good movies, good books. Let me give you a podcast recommendation that was recommended to me called Death at the Wing from Adam McKay. Adam McKay, who wrote Anchorman, The Big Short, Vice, about Dick Cheney. Everything he does is good. Adam McKay has started this podcast called Death at the Wing. It's about tragedies in the NBA. Just players that either committed suicide or were killed or just didn't make it. It sounds like a downer, but it's so well done with interviews and research about the history of the NBA. I don't even think you have to be a basketball fan. It's just solid journalism, solid reporting. It's like an audio documentary. Each episode is great, but the one I just heard was about Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who used to be Chris Jackson at LSU. Now, who is Craig Hodges? Well, first of all, it's a name you want to say with a Minnesota accent. Who is Craig Hodges? Craig Hodges, nope, Craig Hodges, Craig Hodges was a teammate of Michael Jordan's with the Chicago Bulls. And I remember him from his three-point shootout performance in 1990 or 91 or 92. I just remember it was the first time I ever saw a three-point shootout. And he put on a display, like a shooting clinic. It almost looked like video games. He was so dialed in. The prettiest shot. Look it up on YouTube. Craig Hodges. Early 90s, three-point shootout. I think he made like 20 in a row. My dad and I were going nuts. Like, what the? Who is this? Craig Hodges. Even though he was never the face of the Bulls, he had one big night, a three-point shootout. Well, that's all I knew about Craig Hodges. That's it. And then Death at the Wing, they describe him as an activist. And after the Rodney King beatdown, viral video, and trial, after all of that and the riots, 
He was a real activist. He spoke out. Way before BLM, Craig Hodges was speaking out in a league that wanted to silence him. Oh, no, no, no. Our black superstars. We don't speak out about that inequality. We don't speak out about police brutality. That's the early 90s. We're not there yet. And the league not only silenced him, but through collusion made sure that no owners would continue paying him. No more contracts for Craig Hodges. Why? Because when the Bulls win at all, you get invited to the White House. And when he goes to the White House, as the story goes, he wanted to talk to President Bush about the treatment of young black men in America. You know, usually you go to shake the president's hand, but Craig Hodges said, no, I get this opportunity. I'm going to go speak to the president. So admirable. But none of his teammates had his back. And Michael Jordan certainly didn't have his back. Michael Jordan wanted nothing to do with that. He didn't want to be an activist. He wanted to be a basketball player. And the NBA was totally complicit. I know David Stern gets a lot of praise, but David Stern wasn't really ready to give his young black athletes a platform to speak out against police brutality and the mistreatment of many black people in this country. Here you have a bunch of young, famous black people quietly being silenced. And that's what this episode's about, Death at the Wing. They also talk about Chris Jackson. He becomes Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, one of the greatest shooters. It was like Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Not even sure how many people know the name. He had a quick release, but he also protested the mistreatment of black people in this country by staying in the locker room during the national anthem way before Colin Kaepernick, way before Kaepernick. And a reporter saw him and exposed the story. He wasn't doing something that he wanted to be very public, but a reporter exposed the story and then one thing led to another. People weren't ready for that kind of activism in the NBA. This is once again the early 90s and no teams would sign him. NBA owners said, no thanks to that headache. We're trying to sell tickets. We're trying to have corporate sponsorships, endorsements. No thanks to offending any of these big rig, conservative, white corporate owners. No, we can't have that. So if you look at the last few years where guys like LeBron James and a lot of stars in this league now speak out, it's wonderful. And Adam Silver, the commissioner, he cares about it. At least he seems to care about it, using this as a true platform. Like the ugliest thing. You could say is these guys should just focus on basketball. Just shut up and dribble. That's the most racist thing you could say to these athletes who speak out, who use their platform to speak out about political issues. Is just shut up and dribble. As LeBron has a lot of critics. And LeBron being outspoken, it makes me want to like LeBron even more. Like, I like LeBron. I'm just not, like, in love with LeBron. But I think it's cool that he speaks out about this maybe he's just that good he's that famous he's that talented he's such a force he's like what am i gonna lose endorsements what teams aren't gonna sign me i realize craig hodges and mahmoud were not lebron but they were silenced quick as were a lot of athletes there's not many athletes you could think of throughout the 80s and 90s and before that who really spoke up most of them were just hey this is what i do for a living Give me that paycheck. I will happily step away from any microphone and not talk about social issues. One of the biggest examples of a guy who's never going to really let you know how he feels about any social issues is Tiger. Tiger Woods is just a magnet for endorsement money. And I think he knows that not to ruffle feathers. I mean, he's ruffled some through other avenues, but I'm curious how many of these racists say, I don't watch the NBA anymore because these players are a little too mouthy. I'm curious how many people like that are just all talk, but they're really enjoying that the league is so fucking entertaining today. You tune into any NBA game, the athleticism is better than ever. I hate to say it, but this current generation, just like I always try to defend my generation of all the sports 
teams I loved and followed and the athletes that I admired, they're all better nowadays. I mean, athletically, they're all better. Babe Ruth couldn't play in the majors today. Couldn't. Babe Ruth couldn't hit a fucking fastball in today's game. Bill Russell would be just a guy. He'd be just a guy getting his shot blocked by Anthony Davis. Hate to say it. Hate to say it. But I said it. So I'll stand by it. Now I'll just tiptoe away from that one and provide some real answers in episode 140. This is all a big tease to stick around for episode 140 next week when I tie up some of these loose ends. All right, right now let's look at human behavior. Let's just look at it. You look at it and I'll look at it. And let's look at it together. Are you looking at it? Ew, right? Ugh. What the the hell are we doing? But it's all become normal to our eyes because we've done it for so many years. Human behavior. Let's go back. I mean, let's really trace back some of our habits and some of our social norms. And let's think about the first person to do it. The first to do some of these things were probably surrounded with people that weren't really comfortable with these things yet. Like I eat beef, right? I eat cows. There was someone, trace it back. There was someone who did this for the first time, ate a cow. And you know, they didn't have a porterhouse steak on the barbecue. They just took a bite out of a cow. Earl, what are you doing? You can't just bite a cow. And Earl's just chewing on a cow. He goes, it's okay. You know, now we have carpaccio if we want raw beef. And some people get excited with that. But you got to go back thousands of years to Earl. There was a first person to do some of this shit we do. First person to eat a pig. And now people love pork loin and bacon. People love pork shoulder, pork belly, an expensive menu item. But at some point in human history, someone, maybe a guy, maybe a girl, just took a bite out of a pig. <laughs> you know someone saw that. So what the, what the hell are you doing? Jeremy, you can't just bite your pig. It didn't even kill the pig first. You could probably Google this and find out the history of hunting and gathering and agriculture and movements to feed people, but didn't it all start with just some weird, insane people doing some crazy shit? Like duck. Duck on a French menu sounds great. Ooh, I'll get the duck tonight. Ooh, I like duck. There was someone who looked at a duck. Think about how beautiful ducks are. You've seen ducks in ponds. Someone just took a bite out of that motherfucking duck one day. That person was barbaric. They didn't think they'd be a trendsetter. They just snapped off the beak, ripped off some feathers, and Arr! took a bite of that duck. The hell are you doing? Daryl, you can't just eat your ducks. But now Daryl is a legend because we all love duck at a French restaurant. Don't we all go to French restaurants for our duck? How about the first person who just owned a bird? I had a couple friends growing up. Their families just had a bird in a cage. That always sounded terrible. You just have a bird in a cage in your living room. Birds. Animals that fly. At some point, humans said, no, no, no. I'm sick of going outside to see these birds. I want to capture one and put it in a cage. The domestication of birds. You must have looked like an animal. Grabbing a bird out of the sky. Just finding, sneaking up on a bird to domesticate that bird, put it in a cage for what? Your entertainment? You needed a pet that bad. The first person to just own a bird. That's my bird. No, it shouldn't be your bird. Group of friends should tell you. No, that's not your bird. Birds don't go in a cage in your living room. Even a fish. Who's the first person to own a fish throughout the history of the world? Fisher in water, in the ocean, in the sea, in the river. And someone said, 
I'm going to take one home. Just put it in a bowl. It's like the mind of a murderer. It's the mind of a criminal. Anyone who domesticated a fish for the first time. Now, normally, we see someone with an aquarium. We go, ooh, how cool, how beautiful. And they describe the fish. Oh, would you name it? But the first person to ever take a fish out of their natural habitat, just shove it into a big fish bowl to put next to your bird on a shelf. You sick, sick mind. How about grooming? The first person to ever shave? Go back. The days of cavemen, cavewomen. Go back. Earliest form of homo sapien. Someone got sick of being so hairy. Someone didn't want the bush all over the place. So nowadays, we all shave. We get haircuts. We groom. We shave. Armpits and legs for women. Guys shave all sorts of places. I even heard... A commercial on mainstream radio for male grooming. Hey, fellas, shave your balls on terrestrial radio. You're like, wow, it's just so mainstream and acceptable to hear this being promoted. But it all started with someone who eventually got sick of their mustache or got sick of their armpit hair. And I guarantee the people around them weren't ready for that yet. Dan, where the hell is your three foot beard? You look awful. And Dan said, I got sick of it. It was a little itchy. First women. To shave anything, that changed the game entirely. Now we're all expected to. If I lived the same exact life that I'm currently living, but never ever got another haircut or shaved again, society would disown me. Society would cast me away if I did everything the exact same. Kept going to work, kept going to the grocery store, the bank, doing the podcast, but I just decided never to shave again. Society would not allow that. But society used to only be that big, hairy, bushy, people who was the first to say you know something i'm gonna shave it down i want to see what this body's all about underneath the muff i'll take it a step further who's the first to wear clothes so everyone used to be naked we know that the history of humankind everyone was naked not even ashamed You're just walking around things swinging all over the place just walking around i'm butt naked And then someone, it all started, I know it started with someone. Maybe it was functional, like it's cold. I'd like to put on a piece of cloth to protect me from wind, snow, rain, sleet, hail. Okay, okay. And then it became fashionable. But I'm curious, the first person to ever put on a piece of clothing. I bet everybody was curious. What are you hiding? The history of pants, shirts. See, I'm not Googling any of this. This is not an academic episode. There's no research. You just have to go with me. On this one, a naked world and then someone just put on a shirt. And God damn it, Darius. What the hell are you hiding? Let me see those nipples. Get your shirt off. We're not comfortable with this shirt you're wearing. We need to see your nipples and ding dong all throughout the day. Come on, Darius. Now we all have to wear clothes at all times. We all have to wear clothes at all times. Otherwise, it's lewd. It's indecent. If I just saw a grown-ass man walk down my street butt naked, that'd be on the front page of the newspaper. (laughs) I think. Maybe not. Slow news day? How about the first person to ever sing? Sing a song? I bet people thought that person was insane. What are you doing? We have words. We speak those words. Then you got Gary over there drawing out each word. It's a lovely Gary, shut the fuck up. What are you doing? It's called singing. I'm singing as I roll in the dirt. Gary, get up. 
And Gary's probably butt naked because I'm pretty sure the invention of singing comes way before clothes. So words are created. Humans create enough sounds that we now have words to identify things. And then some wild spirit just starts singing with the words. Hey, is everyone entertained by what I'm doing with these words? No, quiet down. Give it a rest, Gary. Go roll in the dirt naked and stop trying to sing. Or dancing? Who's the first person to dance? That must have looked so weird. Well, first of all, I guess you had music to dance to. Maybe not. Maybe you just danced for no reason. People thought you were sick. People thought you were having a reaction to something. Dancing? Sometimes, even today, you could look at a group of people dancing and it looks weird, right? You ever have those moments where you just look at people on the dance floor at a wedding? Bar mitzvah? At a club, New Year's Eve, you're just like, huh. So you had some drinks, and then you went to a gathering area on a floor. You just start gyrating, putting your arms up and down, put your knees up and down, put your feet over there, put your feet over there. And then you just stop doing that and walk away from the dance area? Interesting. And that's evolved quite a bit, but I just am curious. The first person who said, I'm dancing. Hey, everybody, gather around the fire. It's our only form of illumination. And I'm ready to do something called dance. God damn it, Lester. What are you doing? I'm dancing. That would have been a great way to lose friends back then. There was no dancing. And Lester's busting out the running man. Lester, you know something? We're done with you. What are you thinking of right now? The first person to fill in the blank. The first person to do what? Nick Swartzen has a bit about the first person to ever get an ice cream headache. It's the greatest bit. Like, first of all, someone invented ice cream and it was so exciting. And then Nick Swartzen does an impression of someone who doesn't understand what's happening to their head. Oh my God, grab a brick, kill me immediately. And then it just dissipates. But the first person to ever have an ice cream headache, they must have thought that their head was about to just explode. Then it goes away and they're cool again. Like, okay, okay. I've seen it with my own daughter. I think I can remember the first time she had an ice cream headache. What is actually happening in her head? She must be so worried. And then seven seconds later, she's like, I'm good. I'm good. How about some more ice cream? All right, folks, let's end this bastard. Have I said the word bastard too much today? If not, I'd like to offer you bastard, bastard, and a little more bastard as we wrap up episode 139. Please leave a rating, you bastard, on iTunes, you sick bastards. And then I'll talk to you next week with hopefully some logic research, solutions, and reason. I'm bringing it all on the next episode. But you survived this one, so congrats. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 